We're going to go to the Word of God this morning, continuing with a series that we began last week, and it has to do with being, being stuck. And you know, how many ever get to a point in their lives where you feel stuck? Maybe it's, like, maybe it's right now. Maybe it's right now. And I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, the way God designed life for us, He designed it and set things in motion. You know, we are to walk a walk of faith. You know, people like Enoch, it says that Enoch walked with God, and, and he was no more, you know. And uh, it, that was not a bad thing. It actually was a good thing. And, and, and we walk a walk of faith. We're told to, to run uh, with patience, to run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author, and the finisher of our faith. You know, God made it so that we, even, even in the world, we're told that we are in the world for but a time. We're like pilgrims in the land. This is not our destiny, okay? This is not our eventual home. How many thank God for that? Because we do have an eventual home where we'll spend time with Jesus and live in his presence forever and ever. But sometimes in this walk, we run into some things where we find ourselves where we get stuck. We get stuck. It might be just a one specific area in your life. It might be general. Just life in general. You feel like I'm going nowhere. And when we get that feeling in our lives, it is uncomfortable. It is not um, desirable at any given time. Because it's why? It's because it's ultimately not our destiny. That's not where we are supposed to be. Now, it might be part of the process that gets us to our destiny, but we are not to camp there. Can I get an amen? We are not to build a permanent foundation, a permanent home uh, in that place uh, where we get stuck. Now, there are a number of reasons, and we talked about last week, for those who weren't here, maybe to bring you back, uh, there are a number of reasons why we find ourselves in those situations. First, it might be just consequences of our own actions, things we did that wind us to the place where we get stuck, and now we don't know what to do. Sometimes it's the enemy who wants to assault you, who wants to, uh, uh, to, 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 to try you, he wants to test you, he wants to pull you down, he doesn't want you to move forward, he wants you to stay defeated in that state and never move forward. Uh, and sometimes it's just a test from God. God set you up because God is building you up so that you have the capacity to be who you're going to be. And sometimes it's some circumstances that go beyond our control because we live in an imperfect world. We live in a broken world. This world is not perfect. It never will be. No matter who is president in November, Jesus is still Lord. And they're not going to fix everything for us. Let me just break it to you. I'm sorry. I hate to be the barrier of the bad news. They're not going to fix everything for us. We need to have some perspective and recognize that no matter what happens around us, the Lord is on the throne. And as His people, He watches. He's always watched over His people through trials. And even in our time that we live in, are going through some difficult times in a system that is absolutely unfair, a system that is unjust, a system that uh, cannot bring down, uh, stifles your, uh, your potential, all that. Sometimes, circumstances that go beyond our control. But here's my point this morning. Irrespective of all that, God is God. Irrespective of all that, the Bible says that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. Now I want to look at the first two. Next week I'll try attempt to go for the next 
to here. I want to look at when we're in the situation where the consequences of our own action or just the trials of the enemy. And now that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit more. And today I want to read a story from Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And it's a story of Jesus where he gets tested by the enemy. The enemy comes to test him. Would you go with me, Matthew chapter 4? Um, uh, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. I have it on, uh, on the slides here, so if you don't have your Bible, you can look up there. But next time, get your Bible, so you can write on it. You can make some notes. You know, it's all right to walk, write on your Bible, and, and then look back many years over. I came across my old Bible this week. I didn't even realize it existed still, and I think the kids was using it. And isn't it exciting to pull your old Bible and see stuff that you had marked? Many years ago, and you're like, wow, and it's refreshing. Isn't it amazing how the Word of God is always fresh? Something that God spoke to you 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You wrote down, at that time, it was something that was speaking to you, and you read it right now, and it brings just refreshing, because the Word of God is life. The Word of God is a living Word, okay? Uh, One says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, returned to the Jordan River. Okay, returned from the Jordan River. He was, uh, he was led there by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Some cannot stay for 40 seconds without anything, but Jesus went 40 days. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the Scripture says, people do not live by bread alone. And you know what the rest of that verse says in Deuteronomy, but they shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into, and, and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment time, in a moment of time. I will give it to you, the glory of all of these kingdoms and the authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine and I can give it to anyone I please, I will give it to you if you will just worship me. Jesus then replied, verse 8, he says, The scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then verse 9 says that the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Oh. And now, the story changes. The devil opens the Bible. Because this is what the scripture says. He will order the angels to protect you and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Look at your pastor next to you and say, the, the, the devil knows the Bible. He starts quoting scriptures now. Jesus responded, but the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left until the next, the next opportunity came. I think that last statement is very telling. Because not only was he audacious, persistent, he was going to look for another opportunity. If he was going to look for another opportunity to mess up with Jesus, don't you think He would look for an opportunity to mess up with us. He doesn't give up. You know, let me remind you that the devil was after Jesus. Not this wasn't the first time. 
Even when Jesus was a tiny little baby, in human flesh, the enemy wanted to take him down. Remember this story? Or do we have to wait till Christmas to talk about it? <laughs> he came to the wise kings and says, hey, I, I, when you find the king, remember that? Please come back and tell me where, exactly where he's at so that I could go and worship him. The devil's quoting scripture now because you know what he wanted to do. He wanted to finish him even before he began. He wanted him to not even hear. You know, the enemy hates us. Hello. He doesn't like you. If he does like you, you've got a problem and we need to pray for you. (laughs) He hates you. Can I tell you why he hates you? Because you're a child of God. You see... No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've got, uh, what, what your life has been. See, God never gives up on us. We always have an opportunity to be restored with God. He says, if you confess your sins, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you repent, God will hear you. And God, will, God always gives us chances. Not second chances. He'll give us third chances, fourth chances. Seventy times seven chances. I think Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said that. We always have an opportunity to be restored to God no matter how far we've been. Guess what? He doesn't. And that makes him jealous. And that that makes him upset. That makes him hate you. That makes him want to make your life so miserable. If he could get an opportunity, if he could get a window, of, a, a door of opportunity to frustrate you, to pull you down, to make you doubt who you are, to make you feel like you're hopeless, he will do it. He will attack your body. He will attack your families. He'll attack everything about you. He'll attack your finances. He'll come to you and try to pull you down because he wants you to end up where he's at. But yet, while you're still breathing, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity. You can always be restored to God. Think of the worst person that you know in the world. Maybe it's your boss. No, I'm sorry. Maybe it's someone in your house. I don't know who the worst person is. Even the worst person still has the opportunity to be restored and reconciled with God. And he hates us. He hated Jesus because of what he represented. He hated Jesus. Before even he was born, he wanted to make his life miserable. And you look throughout the scripture, the enemy went out. Okay? Now, every time we find ourselves in that place where we uh, feel stuck, sometimes we messed up. We make poor choices. We make a bad judgment call that affects our lives. Maybe we fail at something we really put our heart to. We wanted to do it right, but we fail. We keep on trying, but we fail. Maybe we're just lazy, not diligent with our own work. We're not doing a great We're just doing enough to get by, and we, we, but yet we want results. In Proverbs, it says that the lazy man longs for many things, but his hands refuse to work. That he's greedy to get, but the godly love to give. Sometimes it's just diligence that produces. You know, there are principles that always work. You work hard, you, it will pay off. Not all the time, but 
percent of the time, when you put in a good work, you're going to get good results most of the time. Amen? So sometimes it's just your own. Or maybe neglected responsibilities as a parent or as a husband or as a wife or as an employee or an employer. And uh, maybe you have bad spending habits. Man, when they tell you, boy, um, uh, you're going to save $50 if you spend $1,000. It's like, man, I got the deal. It was a great deal. I didn't need it, but I got myself a good deal. And then you find yourself stuck financially because of choices you made. And you got yourself in there. You get stuck. And life isn't so fun when you find yourself stuck in a hole that you dug up for yourself. Because now there's regret, but you can't reverse time. And that's a bad place to be because that's when the enemy can start hitting you with condemnation. Oh, you did it again. Oh, boy, you did it again. Look it, you're not worth it. I want to tell you that God knows where we've been. God understands our trouble. God understands our imperfections. God understands even when we have deliberately taken the wrong turn. And here's what he says about his mercies. He says that his mercies are new every morning, that as far as the east is from the west, so has he forgiven us all of our sins. So you could go back and tell the devil that, like Jesus was attacked by the enemy, and he says, hey, I know what the scripture says, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You could turn around your situation. I know I messed up. I know I created this, but I know that my God said, if I confess my sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He says, when I follow him, that he will make me a fish of men. He says, if I repent, he's there with me. You can start quoting the word. I know where my sins are. They are thrown as far into the, in, into the sea of forgetfulness. God doesn't remember them anymore. And now I get to start taking the right kind of action. Can I get an amen? And so when it is our own choice, we have to respond by doing the opposite. The definition of repentance, I said this last week, it really is about I was going, what's north? I was going south. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, I know I messed up going south, and I know what would happen. I've repented. I've made reconcile with who I need to make reconcile with. I'm going to take a 180. I'm going to start heading north. Come on, I'm going to start getting north. I'm not going to hang with the people I've been hanging around all the time. There are wrong influences in my life. I keep doing the same thing over and over again. And my life, I just, and my life, I'm not getting anywhere. You know, you could have a lot of movement and not have any progress. You could use a lot of energy and not have any progress. But that's not what God wants for your life. He wants to replace the wrong actions and Turn him around. And sometimes you can't do it on your own. That's why we have one another. That's why we come as a community. That's why we walk together uh, as believers. You see, so because sometimes your hand is going to be weak. And you need someone else to lift you up. And sometimes it's not just about you and what you need out of the group. Sometimes you need to be that person. Come on here, Nate. You need to be that person. Says, Nate, I know it's hard. I'm going to pick you up, Nate. I know, I know you've been... I'm going to pick you up. I'm here for you. 
Because sometimes what we do, we always look at it as, I don't need that. Well, get involved in a small group. No, I don't need that. Because, you know, I do my own personal Bible study, you know. uh, By the way, it's just about me and God. As long as I worship, I pray, I tithe, I give my offering, I help the poor, I do all these things. It's me and God. Never in the scripture was the walk of Christianity ever designed to be alone. Jesus didn't call one disciple. He called 12. And all the 12 walked with each other. Because I might not have a lot to offer Nate. Maybe Nate, he's a smart guy, by the way. He might have a lot to offer me, a lot. And I just have a tiny bit. And maybe just that little tiny bit that I could give him is exactly what he needed. When we keep our hearts humble, we can receive from everyone. We can receive from a little child. You can receive from someone that God saved yesterday, doesn't know a thing about the Bible, but God can use him to encourage your life. God can use a donkey to speak his word. God can use anybody. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you, Nate. Thank you. But sometimes we get into a situation where things are miserable. We're not going anywhere. We are pedaling. Things are going hard. And it's not because of anything we did. Sometimes you've done everything right. But the enemy just wants to mess with you. Now, the scripture we read, if you read the first line, you realize, look at the first line. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. I got to tell you, Jesus was on a high when he went to the wilderness. He was on a mountaintop experience here. He just got done getting baptized with, with John. And the Spirit of the Lord opened up, poured, was poured out on him for all to see that God is with this man. God the Father audible, audibly speaks to the people that are witnessing this great event. And he says, this is my beloved son. In other words, don't mess with him. This is my beloved son, and guess what? I am pleased with him, in whom I am pleased with. So Jesus is coming directly from that experience. He goes into the wilderness. Have you ever done everything right? And even tried to be extra good. And then something happens to you. Life happens. You don't deserve it. And that sometimes can be very discouraging. Because you're thinking, boy, I've done everything I know to do, right? And I'm getting hammered. I tell you, you have an enemy. The Bible says that we have an enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he might devour. He wants to destroy you. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. The devil hits Jesus at his point of weakness. It says that he had gone without food for 40 days. 40 days. Couldn't have picked a better time to talk about McDonald's. <laughs> you know, when you're hungry, everything you think about is food. Yeah. I remember one time I was fasting. You know, I was going to be like a, G, a, lit, a miniature Jesus. And I'm fasting. And then I drive by the intersection of 27th and Pine Lake where all the restaurants meet. <laughs> it was horrible. I'm like, this was a bad idea. I had a breakfast. But you know, so the devil shows up at Jesus and says, hey, Are you really the son of God? 
You know, we had God say up there, he's like, oh, this is my beloved son, in whom, I don't know what God's voice is audibly, so that's just, I think Morgan Freeman can do it better than me. This is my beloved son. I says, are you truly the son of God? Are you really? Really? Huh, huh. You're really a daughter of God? Look at you. Then I dare you, if you are, why don't you turn the rock and turn it to bread? Jesus is looking around. No Chick-fil-A anyway. He's in the wilderness. <laughs> he's in the wilderness. And now he's thinking, man, probably has barely enough strength to get back to town and get some food. And that's the time Jesus turns around and he speaks the word. So that the scripture says, that people will not live by bread alone. See, that's a, it's a dangerous place when he comes because he knows where you are weakest. He knows your weak points. He's been around a long time, by the way. He's watched humanity from when there was only two people around. In fact, when there's only one person around. He's been around. And so in James, he talks about how the temptations come and he says that temptation is always connected to our weakness. And he knew Jesus was vulnerable at this time. And he goes directly, a direct assault of his area of weakness. And that's the point. You can start entertaining the thoughts. Really? Are you a child of God? Really? Have you listened the way you live? When's the last time you got your bank statement? Is that royalty right there? What kind of king? He causes you to question your identity. To question who you are. And you start going down that road of like, oh, maybe I don't have what it takes. Oh, it's for other people, not me. I'm better off here. Don't be caught up by that lie. Because so Jesus turned and says, Hello, I recognize what's going on around here. That, but there are, greater, there are bigger things in life than what you're putting in front of me. Bigger things than food. Bigger things than my present circumstance. I might be going through it. My family might be going through it. Things might be very difficult for me right now. Honestly, if I could jump and escape, if I could run, I'd do it. But there are bigger things here. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Man shall live by bread alone. What I need right now, give us this day our daily bread, really speaks of my present need, my present circumstance. That's what we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. But then he says, even that bread... Jesus is saying, we need even more than that. Life is bigger than that. Because if you was to sit down and start thinking about my daily bread and my daily needs and sit in my circumstance, it can be very stressful. And sometimes it's just easy to say, I'm done. 
that was me three weeks ago <laughs> on my kitchen floor. So we are like so excited. We're going to remodel our house. I'm going to look at YouTube channels and I'm going to do this. So I learned how to lay wood in it, flooring, whatever. I got a few help from people that know what they're doing. Thank Jesus for those people. But I'm on a mission. And in the process, it's exciting. It's exciting. Look at it. We get the two rows. We get five. And right when we are about to be done, we move the fridge. Somehow, we don't realize the water came, maybe unhooked, got loose, and the whole floor is wet underneath. We had to tear it all down. And um, turns out that just being the smart guy that I think I am sometimes, how I'm going to save 50 bucks or 20 bucks or 5 bucks here and 5 times 5 plus whatever, I might say come out with 100 bucks on my budget. I decided to call my agent and say, hey, I've never claimed anything. That was two months before. I want to raise my deductible. Raise it up. I want that premium down, you know. I'll take the risk. But then I'm almost going to move out of this. I'll just raise it. And two weeks later, this happens. So we tear this thing, put the thing back together. We picked up, and I thought, man, that was not very smart of me here. Now I need to make sure that I get a plumber involved next time. You know, I went to Lowe's. I went to Home Depot. I, I talked to every expert. I said, okay, how can I make sure without a doubt that the water will stay where the water is supposed to be? I took notes, and, they, and I said, yeah, I like that guy's advice. I don't like his. And I did it exactly as they told me. Now we got the kitchen done. It's done. It's nice. What happens again? And this time I'm thinking, wow. Why didn't I change the deductible the first time it happened? Sheesh. And they come. So we go through the same process again. We looked at each other two weeks ago. We're about to go on vacation with our kids for the first time in nine years, 14-year anniversary. I got my miles to get me the cheapest ticket possible, and, um, and it was nearly free. I was going to surprise my wife, but you learn after a while. You don't, you're surprised, but you don't surprise certain things. You actually have to, <laughs> to, to, to inform, give information about the surprise so people can prepare, you know? And so... <clears throat> So we, the morning before we leave, we wake up, and this was the mother of all floods. And we asked about someone to, to come and stay at our house. Sam and Abigail, all bless their heart. We came this close to close it. And that morning is when I went like, ah, I'm not doing this. I'm getting someone else to do it. Call the insurance company. I'll pay the deductible after all. And for a moment, I felt a little defeated. And then as I'm laying down there, I felt this righteous indignation. I realized the enemy was in the middle of this. He wanted me to lose my cool. He's just telling you, I did not lose my cool. I got close, but I did not. <laughs> he wanted me to lose my joy. He wanted me to cancel my vacation. 
months is for four months. I don't plan anything for four months. So usually it's two weeks. And, and I hear, and in that same spirit, that life is greater than theirs. What's that anyway to steal your joy? What's that anyway to steal your peace? What's that anyway to make you frustrated? Well, you've got to deal with it, but you've got to guard your heart from being messed around with just things. You go to Baton Rouge, they have their whole house underwater. Not enough for you to lose your call. Man shall not live by bread alone. There's a bigger picture here. And I'm going to do what I got to do, but I'm going to focus on the bigger picture. I'm going to praise God in my circumstance. I'm going to worship God and Him only. I'm, going to be, I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm going to take one step at a time. I don't know what to do. I'll just let the Lord take care of every step. I'm going to walk through it, but I'm going to praise God anyway. I'm going to praise God in, the, in my circumstance. And we did go on vacation. Yes, devil, you know it. And we did come back. And we are alive. Children are happy. None of them are. They are all okay. Sam and Abigail survived. Thank God for them. But God is good, even in the middle of the circumstances. My point is that sometimes the enemy can take advantage of something, just one thing, and get us off. Take your joy away from you. Was it Jerry Savelle that said, if he can't steal your joy, then he can't steal your good? Don't let him steal your joy. Your joy is not tied to circumstance. Things can turn very quickly for us. Things can go very badly. A news, you get news you weren't expecting. Even the country's direction can change overnight. You ask the people in Germany back in the day when it all changed. Life was one way. It changed day after elections. But even in those situations, as believers in the Lord, are you really a son of God? Are you really a daughter of the Most High King? Who's your father? He causes, tries or attempts to tell Jesus to question his identity. Don't you ever forget who you belong to. I'm waiting because that needs, that's an amen moment, that's a clap offering. Don't you ever forget who you belong to. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. His kingdom is everlasting to everlasting. He says of his kingdom there is no end. No end, no end. There's a guy that got confronted by the same situation as Jesus. Esau, remember his story? He was very hungry, too. It wasn't 40 days and 40 nights. I think it was a few hours. <laughs> he shows up. His brother shows, he shows up, and his brother is cooking some good stew. And he gives up his birthright for a bowl of soup. Don't give up who you are. Don't give up your heritage. Don't give up your destiny for something so small. 
Man shall not live by bread alone. There is a bigger picture. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what we're told. Let's run with patience. Let's run with endurance. The, the race that is set before us. How do we run it? We run that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, the completer of our faith. Because when I look around, I get scared. But when I keep, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I can keep going. And I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. And eventually, I know that he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your thorough, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He is with me. I keep my eyes on him was the perfecter, the initiator and the perfecter of my faith. We've got to fight. We're told that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.1. We're not wrestling. We're told that the, the battle is bigger than just the outside, but the battle is spiritual. 2 Corinthians 10.4, says that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're not mighty just in it by themselves. They're mighty in God. So verse 5 says that the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, I will give him to you if you would bow down and worship me. And, and Jesus brought things into uh, perspective here that the God is the one that we worship. We got to worship even in our circumstances. Him alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. The enemy is persistent. Don't underestimate his tenacity. He will not give up. We read at the end there, it says that the devil, when he was finished tempting Jesus, that he left until the next opportunity. Guess what? You win one battle, he's going to look for another opportunity. But don't be worried. Don't be naive about his ability, but don't be worried at the same time. Because sometimes some Christians kind of take an attitude of kind of underestimating the enemy's ability and the enemy's persistency. 1992. The U.S. men basketball team was getting ready to go to the Olympics. They composed the dream team. This was like the greatest, arguably the greatest sports team, composition of sports team in, in all sports. That's what they say. At least I believe that. You know, you have Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, David Robinson. Some of you, those names just sound like no one. Some of us are like, they know what we're talking about here. And Chuck Daly was a assigned to be the coach of that team, and, and Coach K, they decided they're going to do some scrimmage game, and they bought the best college time. We didn't know about this until maybe like 18 years later is when they kind of let out what actually happened. And they got the best college players to play the dream team. This is a team that has 11 Hall of Famers in it now. Future Hall of Famers. See, this is an amazing team. They won by an average, I think, of 44 points. How do I know this? I've got a problem. <laughs> Closed door. They got pickup basketball with the best of the college teams. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Michael Johnson, David Robinson. Man, I can even... This is, this is so weird because I pictured their jersey and their, the number on their back already. It's like it's still ingrained in my head. Anyway, they got beat by the college kids. They got beat. 
And the coach wanted them to get beat. He didn't tell them this, but he, he wanted them to lose. He wanted them not to underestimate their opponents. He wanted to fix something inside of them and their attitude. Because the kids, the kids came in, they said, we are not going to be intimidated. And they played their heart out. And they were dunking on the, I thought, you know, and the time was up before they got their act together. And sometimes I feel, sometimes that's the way we, we play with the enemy and we kind of underestimate it. He's a deceiver. You think about this. This is a thought maybe to, and you can explore in it a little bit. Adam and Eve live in a perfect world. Perfect. Paradise. Can you imagine man? They see God face to face. They hang out with him. No sin, nothing in the world. No sickness. These guys are living thousands of years. Why? Almost. But close. No disease, no wars, nothing. And the enemy still was able to pull a number on them by questioning their identity, questioning their relationship, questioning who they are. Has he ever messed with your mind? And because of a few failures here and there, a few mistakes here and there, a few, and you start questioning and forget who you are? He'd do it every single time he gets up. I'm saying this not to scare you, but let's not underestimate him. But the Bible says, that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. But God is able, we said that last week, to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can as according to the word, the power that works within you. The power is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. The place we are told to stand, we are told to stand up against the enemy. Not to be intimidated. And what are we supposed to pull? What's our offensive weapon for those who know it? It's the word of God. Jesus wasn't like, yeah, 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 you're not gonna get. no, he says, the word says. <laughs> Use the right kind of weapons here. Get in the word. You start quoting the scriptures. Let's talk about who you were. So the, hey, hey, you knocked me out, all right. My house might be flood, flooded, all right. But I know your tree. I'm going to be spraying. I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to be worried a single bit. I know that my God is pro- my provider. Even if I have to come up with the money that I wasn't planning on, I know that God is able to even provide that. Amen. He is Jehovah Jireh, full of resources, unlimited resources. He knows exactly what you need. He'll provide right on time. And even when the enemy wants to defeat you, the Lord can turn it around for your good. Begin to speak the word. Says, I know where I've been. Why, why are you reminding me, devil, of what, what I've done? I know that already. Thank you very much. But I also know that he died for me. I know that the blood of Jesus has covered every sin in my life. I know that I have a new beginning. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that if I'm faithful, that he is faithful, he is faithful and just. I know who I am. Are you really the son of God? Yes, I am. Are you truly the daughter of God? Yes, I am. Try that again. Because I know what the word says about me. That my God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He said every place I put my foot upon, my ground will be ours to take. I will not be afraid. I will not be dismayed. I will be rejoicing the Lord always. If when I'm done, I'm going to praise him anyway. I'll open the book of Psalms and start singing. Worship. 
to the Lord. Worship the Lord alone, for he is worthy. Has the enemy been beating you up? Are you feeling stuck like you have no energy? You don't have anything left inside of you to fight? That's the time to fight. You don't fight with your own strength. You fight by the word of God. You motivate yourself by the word of God. You speak to yourself the word of God. David said that I will bless the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He tells his soul, hey, pick up yourself right now. We're going to bless the Lord. Let us worship together. My soul shall magnify the Lord. And you would find that as you turn into that attitude of praise, that last weapon, Jesus, the last weapon, the last word he said to the enemy, it was, it's about worship. Hey, this, we, we, you're crossing the line, Satan. You shall worship the Lord, your God alone, he alone. You turn your circumstance into a praise and worship service. You pull on the side of the road and begin to praise God like a crazy man. You do something different. Now, don't just follow your natural impulses. Follow what the scripture says. I might be feeling bad right now, but he sent his word to heal my disease. I might not be feeling it. I might not seeing it, but I trust him. I trust him at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. Amen. Would you stand with me? Did you receive something from God this week? Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give him glory if you receive something from him. Give him praise. I'm going to continue with that same thought. I don't want to dig into further. And uh, next week we'll finish this up and it's going to be great. But I want to pray right now for people that have been going through that trial. Sometimes you have to stand up and just fight. And it's not an ignorant fight. You fight by the word. You fight by the word. What is he saying? Get in the word. Pull up some of your old Bible. Take the notes you've written and begin to, to, to speak the word. Speak the word. Declare the word. There's a scripture that says, if you decree the word, it shall be established. It's not just your word. It's his word. It's his word that you decree. It's not yours. His word. You can count on that. And that's a double punch back at him. Oh yeah, you keep hitting me. I'm going to still keep faithful to the Lord. And the Bible says, He who endures to the end will be saved. You already have won the battle. You're already a victor. You're not going to lose it. Your God is able. Your God is able. Tell someone next to you, your God is able. Your God is able. Father, we thank you for your presence. You died for us. You saved us. You will not withhold any good thing for those who love you. We thank you, Lord, for your love is amazing. As we sang today, we worship you. We honor you. But Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus and the authority that we have in your name, Lord. You said you went down to the pits of hell. You took the keys even of death, hell, and the grave. You conquered every enemy. 
And Father, you gave the key to the church. You gave the key to us. And Father, today we take that key. We take authority over every attack of the enemy. We refuse to back down. We refuse to stay, to camp at the mud. You took our feet from the miry clay and you set us upon the rock. You said, Lord Jesus, that you have given us authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and to overcome every power of the enemy. I pray right now. I pray against every fiery dart of the enemy. The enemy of disease, the enemy of infirmity, the enemy of lack and poverty, the enemy of uh, lack of uh, wrong self-esteem, the enemy. We take authority by the blood of Jesus Christ, the name above every other name. We take authority in Jesus' name and we bind and we resist every lie in the name of Jesus, the enemy of deception. And we take authority in our lives and we begin to declare... That we are children of God. We declare victory. We declare hope. We declare success. We declare promotion. We declare goodness, oh God. For your word says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will put a declaration in our mouth. Come on, right now, just begin to declare. Oh, begin to declare those things that, yours, that are rightfully yours. Declare it out of your mouth. Declare peace. Declare joy. Declare victory over your circumstances. Open your mouth and just tell them, hey, say it. Say it out loud. I declare that in my life. I declare that over my life in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We magnify your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let it be a week of victory for more, many people, Lord. Touch. Touch your people, Lord, we pray. Let your spirit be released, oh God to bring restoration, to bring wholeness, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want us to stay in that attitude of prayer right now with every eye closed in reverence of God's presence right now. You know, all the stuff I'm saying means nothing. You can't really go to God that way. You can't go to prayer. You can't pray with such authority if you don't have Jesus in your life, if you're not born again, if you're not saved. You've never asked Him to come into your life or maybe you're living a life that is inconsistent uh, that of a person that should know Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity because everything has to start somewhere. And the first step is really opening your life to Jesus Christ. Asking Him to come into your life that you might be born again today. And I cannot close the service without giving you the opportunity right now to allow Jesus to come into your life. I want to pray a special prayer for you. So you live with that steadfast assurance that God is in your life. Jesus is in your heart that you're born again. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, everybody. I want you to bow your heads just to give him, allow the Lord to walk in people's lives right now. If that's you saying, Pastor Saul, you know what? I've been far from God. I need a fresh beginning with God. That's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Raise your hand. I'll see your hand. I have my eyes open. But the other pastors are watching. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not even going to call you forward. I just, you want to just raise, say, thank you. Thank you. Just raise your hand there. I'll see you. I'll see your hand. Says, I want, pray for me. I want to pray for you. Anybody else? Give me a, that's you. Thank you. Church, I'm going to ask you to help me pray. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. Just as I am, 
I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. I believe that you died for me. You laid down your life for me. Today I receive your love. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a fresh start today. Give me a fresh start with you. I'm committing my life to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.